The International Association for Near-Death Studies presents NDE Radio, a weekly exploration of near-death experiences and similar encounters with the other side. Now, here's your host, Lee Whitting. Welcome to NDE Radio. I'm your host, Lee Whitting. Our guest today, Randy Kay, has an anointing for sharing the heart of God, having gone through a near-death experience when he met Jesus. The experience moved Randy from agnostic to his calling as a prophetic speaker, best-selling author, and one who has coached thousands. He has provided insight to audiences of all sizes with his passion for expressing the heart of God. Randy's NDE occurred when he clinically died from multiple pulmonary emboli and sepsis from MRSA. He encountered heaven and gained a profound understanding of God's love for each of his children. Randy believes that once you encounter the presence of God, you can be transformed into the person God wants you to be. Randy suffered much physical and psychological pain in his life, but believes God uses brokenness as a means for discovering joy. He discussed his own suffering, his doubts about God, and the love he received from Jesus in his first book, Dying to Meet Jesus, How Encountering Heaven Changed My Life. Randy offers this testimony to show readers how God uses suffering and brokenness to build an intimate and indestructible relationship with him, while breaking down barriers and ushering the reader into an authentic relationship with the author of love. Interestingly, it proved to be a bestseller to those readers who had contemplated suicide. Today, the story continues with this week's official launch of Randy Kay's second book, or really, I guess, second book on this topic, Revelations from Heaven, with vivid descriptions of what he saw and experienced in heaven. Revelations from Heaven contains details Randy kept secret for many years, in part over just concerns of privacy and in part over concerns for offending the beliefs of others. Well, here to tell you more about his NDE is Randy Kay. Randy, welcome to NDE Radio. Thank you. Great to be here, Lee. Oh, it's great to have you, and uh, congratulations on the new book. Thank you. Uh, Randy, there's so much to discuss in your new book that for the sake of time, I, I hope you can begin with the moment your body clinically died and what you witnessed when your soul began its ascent. Yes. I had clinically died from blood clots, and then I had a bacterial-resistant uh, strain uh, that was uh, coursing throughout my body, causing further clotting. So what happened was uh, I found myself not feeling like I had died, but my, I could see my body on the hospital bed. Uh, I started rising, a light was pulling me up. I know that sounds cliche for a lot of your NDE um, uh, witnesses, uh, those who have uh, gone through this. Um, but I, I came to find out that that light was the presence of God just pulling me toward him. And I saw in the distance, I saw these warring figures and I couldn't figure that out. I just cried out the name of Jesus. And um, I, uh, I felt I can never get through this without um, being emotional. I, this soft um, robe to my right, and I felt the whiskers of this person rubbing his face, or I was cheek to cheek with him. And I knew it was Jesus. And um, 
caved. I caved in awe and love. The first thought I had was, this is love. And then he pulled me up with his wrapping his left arm around my left shoulder, and he pulled me up, and he pulled me towards him, and I was face to face. And I was looking into the eyes of love. And they tunneled into every dark place in me, within me, illuminating that with the light, his light. And, and he said these words to me. He said, trust me. Trust me. I had never been a trusting person in my life. I had always been a prove-it kind of person. I, as you mentioned, I'd been an agnostic um, I was not just an agnostic. I was, I did not like anyone of any religion and, and foremost Christians who were trying to processize me. And I saw into the eyes of love and he revealed to me a number of things in my life. And even the things where I failed, they didn't convict me or condemn me. They just reflected the grace of Jesus in all things. And there was one story, Lee, of that he revealed to me, and it was a boy in a, in a hospital bed. I had been an orderly in my, in my youth, and this boy, I was coming into his room to give him some food uh, or his lunch, and he was emaciated, uh, his eyes were hallowed out, and he said to me, um, he said, thank you, and I'm, he said, I'm going to heaven. And I said, well, that's nice. Um, I don't believe in heaven, but um, certainly if there's a heaven, I'm sure you're going there. And he said, well, I'm going to pray for you. And he said, someday you'll be there too. <laughs> and that was the moment I was seeing it in heaven. I was seeing this vignette in heaven, being there with that boy at the time that he was speaking it to me. And I realized when he said he would pray for me that, that I was there, the, benef the beneficiary of that prayer, seeing that. Yes. Wow. Yeah. Uh, it was amazing. That was part of a sort of a, a life review, wasn't it? That was it, like a, perhaps the high point of the life review. Yes, absolutely. And you know what's interesting, Lee, is that, and I just discovered this not too long ago, I can remember vividly every detail. It took me 14 years to share my near-death experience or afterlife experience since I clinically died for a little over 30 minutes. Um, and I, I thought it was my experience. I thought this was for me. And what I realized is I could, I could tell you the colors, what things look like, and I could tell you every facet and feature, except for the times where I had failed in life. And I couldn't remember any detail of those things. But I remembered the grace of Jesus. And so I prayed and I said, Lord, please reveal to me why it is that that's the one part that I cannot remember. And I heard this, this, um, 
this voice, this silent voice speak to me saying, because I removed them as far as the east is from the west, they no longer exist. And I realized that everything reflected the love of Jesus. And, and that's not just a cliche. It is absolutely true. Mm-hmm. And I think there's so many people that are desperate for that love. And I wish I could convey it. I, I did want to ask you about that. I, I was planning to later on. The uh, the notion that uh, God forgives or forgets. If God forgets, it's almost as if history is erased. Yes. Don't you think? Oh, yes, I believe that. That's what I witnessed, Lee, Um, because I did not believe that prior to my experience. I really did not. I felt that there was some uh, penance of some kind that we would need to go through and and go through this uh, entirety of these things again. But it wasn't, it wasn't judgment that I felt. It was really reflecting the grace of, of God. You know, the grace of God was so magnanimous that it covered a multitude of the things, the failures that I had uh, in life. And I realized that grace in the fullness of what it was. But, but then I realized that it was because of the person of love. So I had known, and all of us know love uh, typically is an emotion or an action or something of that kind, but I had not realized consummate love. That is the personhood of love until I was in heaven. And that personhood of love. Oh, (laughs) it's overwhelming. Powerful. Let's Tell us a little, as you were ascending, you mentioned, you'd mentioned it briefly, but in the book you talk about gangly and gray giants lifting swords and were they battling angels? Describe what you saw in that ascension. I never really fully, and I still don't fully understand what those were, these warring figures, these demons and what are angels and you know, battling for my soul or what have you. I think they, one might say they were my inner demons. One might say they were my outer demons and the angelic influences over my life. But there was certainly conflict going on in battle and, um, and a warring. Um, and so I knew internally, even as a, um, you know, even as a believer and, uh, in Jesus, um, and even as an ordained minister, you know, I had worked in the corporate world uh, much of my life. I had uh, led clinical teams in cardiovascular surgery. So that was my background. But even so, I, I remained somewhat conflicted. And there was a there was a um, uh, there was an evening where I just cried out to the uh, the wall. I had we I just gotten back from a a conference in DC uh, to announce a, 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 an essential a virtual cure for Alzheimer's and the FDA withdrew uh, the approval of that drug. And then I was a biotech CEO and, and then I had to raise $70 million for that and invested much of my money. I was a point of desperation, mostly because my daughter had, uh, had suffered from many strokes. And I just cried out to the wall and I said, God, I, I feel abandoned. I feel like you've got to show up. You, 
I want to see you. I want to see you. I want to see you with my, my eyes. And I halfway expected him to show up in that room. And then with my wife, uh, later, uh, we were in the coffee shop and I said, you know, we lost just about everything except our health. And two weeks later, I was dead. And so that was the God that I insisted show up. And later after all of this was, was said and done, you know, I prayed again and I said, Lord, why did you allow me to go through this and through, through so many things that I witnessed in heaven? And, um, and the answer I kept getting back was, well, you wanted me to show up. You know, and I think it was. You know, <laughs> I, so, so I killed you. <laughs> yeah, well, well, I don't think God killed me. I think I, I really, you know, I went through this, um, and I, and I, and I think really again, it was spoke to the grace of God. Even then, it was the grace of God giving me the desires of my heart to to see Him and to realize Him in heaven in ways that uh, that I could possibly never understand in the physical realm. Yeah. And in contrasting the humanness of the appearance of Jesus, you, you talk about angels as being towering and translucent, and uh, they sound very almost military. Just describe, describe that, and then give us a description of, of how you remember Jesus. Uh, I saw different kinds of angels. So there were the kind of the warring type of angels that I just explained. But also when I was with Jesus, I saw these towering angels and they were all gargantuan in size. But the angels I saw with Jesus um, were just glorious in nature. Um, there are, to me, their eyes looked like more, more like fire than they did, uh, you know, pupils that we would have. And their arms seem more like, um, brass than, than flesh. And, and they were glorious in appearance. And those are the ones while I was traveling with Jesus. And I, I realized how, you know, that, uh, that they were even more glorious in appearance than what Jesus appeared to be. And then the ones I saw um, in in what I, what I call the throne room, those were even reflecting the glory of God in a way that was magnificent to the extreme. Hmm. But back to how Jesus appeared to me, he appeared to me as very plain and ordinary. The light of Jesus was showing glorious radiance. But when I looked at Jesus, and people have asked me what is you know what were the colors uh, color of his eyes, I now um, call them the eyes, the color of the ocean. And you know how the light reflects on the ocean and it breaks through, and we can get a myriad of different colors of blues and greens and browns uh, in his eyes, and his his flesh or not his flesh, excuse me, but his his skin, if you will. Um, was more of an olive colored. And by olive, I mean kind of an almond colored. Um, not like, not like my color skin. And his hair was, was, uh, brown and wavy and rather long. And, um, but what it was the, if I could explain what love looks like, that would be Jesus. Because when I saw him, all of these appearances, and I know uh, 
many people want to know what does he look like and and what have you. Does he look like this painting or that picture or this whatever? And I just tell them, you know, this is, I saw love, consummate love. And I'd never seen that in any person and any being in, in all of my life, certainly. I think at some point in, in the new book, you also said that he still bears the marks of the crucifixion. Yes. Yes. And, and that was the part where, and the reason I wrote Revelations from Heaven was because people said, you know, I didn't, I only shared briefly the story in the first book. And they said, I want to hear more about heaven and heaven. And I realized that, um, I had written a journal, um, of these things and recorded them. And that's one thing that I realized with, with Jesus was, and, um, remind me of the question again, Lee, it was, was about oh, uh, the uh, marks of the crucifixion. The marks re- of the cru- right. You right, reached out at the end to hug <laughs> yes. you before you left. Yes. You, you noticed that those marks were there. Yes. See, I can remember things, you know, back then vividly a month ago, you can ask me, you know, to remember something and I can forget it or like a minute ago. So it was, <laughs> yeah, me too. So, so basically what it was is he had told me that as Jesus had told me that he was sending me back and I implored him and I said, Lord, you know, I want to stay here. I don't want to leave. Why? And he said, you'd not, you have yet to fulfill your purpose. And, um, you know, I felt like the kid had woken up on Christmas morning and his parents told him he had to go back to bed. And that's how I felt with Jesus. And then, you know, the the purpose that he had revealed to me was because I was a type A personality is that moment by moment he would reveal that purpose uh, to me. And that's the reason he was, was, was returning me and that I would have to listen to his voice, the voice of wisdom telling me what to do. And a butterfly head rested on my shoulder. And I was entranced by the butterfly because it was so beautiful looking. And I asked Jesus about that. And he said that represented wisdom, the voice of wisdom telling me what to do. And um, and so now I look for those opportunities opportunities, wisdom speaking to me in the moment of my life and the time I'm in. So if I'm going to the grocery store and I see somebody looking downtrodden, you know, giving them a smile, praying for them. If I, um, the most innocuous moments in my life now, I'm looking for intentional times where I can um, convey more of the love of Jesus to them. And that was not me, Lee, before this happened. Not me at all. I was not what I would call, and I don't call myself a good person now. I I just mean I'm a tender person, tenderized by God uh, through this experience and tender toward uh, the hearts of others. Yeah, and uh, that's what is going to count, I think, in the long run. Yes. There is a... A quote from your book that I wanted you to uh, elaborate on. My greatest challenge in describing experiences in heaven arose when Jesus formed impressions into visions that I perceived in my spirit as the materialization of his truth. Mm. 
And you're asking me to explain that. <laughs> I know. It, now, that would be a conundrum. <laughs> it sounds, it sounds multidimensional for sure. Yes. But, well, <laughs> but t- take a shot at it anyway. Yes. <laughs> well, for example, um, there was a time I saw a perfect hue, uh, hue being, uh, of, of a perfect color, you know, and it's like the refraction of color. It's like we look at the blue sky and it's actually a refraction of the actual color. And so the color was um, the, the, the refraction of that perfect hue, which was kind of the glory of God just shining through that perfect hue, illuminated everything around, around me. And what it did was really reflected the presence of God. And so the presence of God was imparted to everything in heaven and everyone in heaven. So, for example, here, I know many of us um, struggle with hearing God. What is God telling me? Where? What is the reason I'm here or why am I going through right. this? And so there was an impartation in heaven, which was altogether pervasive and for example the what that means in terms of the interpreting that from appearance to to what it actually imparts was an ethereal expression that was the mind of god the the mind of jesus who was speaking things as they were and speaking things as they should be and so everything in heaven was intentional. So I saw people now and, you know, the questions arise, okay, it's not a walk in the clouds. It's nothing like that. You know, it's going to be boring because it's all of eternity. Everyone was was working intentionally, uh, bringing forth their, I felt like, uh, Lee, I had written, you know, I'd written a, a for magazines and what have you. I'd studied that at Northwestern University, writing that is. And I felt like I, my favorite poet is Robert Browning. And I felt like I could write like Robert Browning, as strange as that seems. I felt like the revelations from heaven was authored, um, in heaven and imparted here, as strange as that may seem, because it came so fluidly. And I believe the, the God's spirit was just, you know, authoring these things, which are illuminating these and elucidating these things which are very ethereal, but they're very practical in application. Uh, and everything spoke that way. And and even my vision of things was almost telescopic in a way. I was, my body was seeing the vistas and the mountains and the river flowing from Jesus. And then at the same time, I could see the veins in a leaf. And everything spoke intentionality as to what that was about, because nothing was just happenstance nothing everything spoke of a reason it's kind of like you know you're sitting there and staring at the sky and all of a sudden bang an aha moment and there's a revelation but everything in heaven was a revelation and everything spoke the glory and nature of god you're what you were just talking about took me to another quote that um, i was going to ask you about i think you've actually already explained it Thinking with the spirit mind compels us to speak the language of heaven, which speaks of the love we gain from being the offshoot of love itself. Mm. And then the language of heaven always speaks with perpetual love, and it is only heard through the guileless filters 
of our spirit. Yes. I thought that was beautiful. Uh, Jesus took you for a walk through heaven. Uh, tell, tell us what you saw. He never left my side. I saw many different things. I saw one instance, Lee, that was interesting to me. So he never left my side. And yet I saw um, in one of those um, appearances while we were journeying throughout heaven, I saw three people um, who were praying. I saw a woman with long, uh, uh, straight hair. I saw a man with kinky hair. I saw another man with a goatee and they were holding each other's hands. And I had, Jesus was by my side and he was also with them in the middle of that. And I knew they were praying for somebody here, somebody here in this world. I knew that. And the amazing thing is that Jesus had never left my side and yet he was with them at the same time. And so that was one of the, th- one of the, uh, things that I saw in heaven. And then I saw people who were traversing from place to place and through these, these constructs, the likes of which I have never seen architecturally in all of my life. Um, they were, uh, stones and, you know, crystals and all kinds of beautifully orchestrated, um, structures that people were going from place to place. And, you know, I've been asked, you know, do people just go in their home, like here, you know, close the door and do whatever. And there was a communal sense in heaven. So they were a family and they loved each other as family and they loved each other with that God as you as you um, read that, you know, love was imbued and embedded in everyone and everything. And so, you know, they they were were one. So nobody saw each other. We didn't see each other um, by any of the characteristics that we would ascribe typically within this world. You know, I never recognized anyone by by their uh, physical feature or their spiritual features, I should say, or anything of that nature. Everything was in a communal sense as family. And I loved everybody. They loved each other. They loved, loved me. I felt that love. And foremost, I knew that that originated from the author of love himself, uh, Jesus. Uh, another description that, that you have in your book. <clears throat> I saw a river flowing from Jesus that stretched throughout heaven. And it started at the feet of Jesus. Wherever mm. Jesus walked, like life sprouted forth and the river of life, as described in Revelations 22.1, gave life to everything. Amazingly, everything in heaven thrived in abundance because of that flowing river. Mm. And this is, as he's walking along, is this something that is uh, taking place while you're walking? There was a point at which, and it was... um... Everything is difficult for me to describe just in the context of what it would be in this world, because it is not in this world. Uh, some of it is otherworldly and some of it is very familiar. Um, that was one of those otherworldly uh, moments where I looked at the feet of Jesus and I saw this river that was flowing from him and flowing throughout all of heaven. And it was the 
what what um, what many of us would term the river of life, and it was giving life to uh, you know flowers that were blooming in all kinds of colors and exponential numbers of colors, and giving life where I saw life sprouting forth in trees, and nothing was dying, and everything was thriving uh, from this uh, this river. So it was at that in that context that I saw him with this river of life, but it was also burgeoning forth, uh, giving life wherever wherever it was. Uh, I think there are like in the Bible it speaks to at least four verses of the river in li- of life, and um, and the, the the fruit that emanates from and Jesus giving life and bearing out fruit and so forth. And so that's what I saw from these, with these living waters. But there's another thing, Lee, that I think is, is very important from what I observed. So Jesus turned to me and he said, do you remember the time that you fell on when you were a child, you fell on a wire fence, it was a strawberry patch, and you cut your uh, hands on the, on the wire and you started bleeding, went to the emergency room for stitches. And I turned to him and I said, Yes, Jesus, but not vividly like I like I uh, remember it here in heaven. And I said to Jesus, uh, Jesus, did you feel my pain then when I was going through this as a child? And he said something very interesting to me. Jesus said, in in the world, I felt your pain or others' pain. Here, meaning in heaven. I feel other separation from me. And, and it spoke to me and to this very day that all kinds of sorrows and grief and suffering was rooted in separation from God and that our separation from God was the source of that. And then he did something that relates to that river of life that was very profound for me. And he showed me, and it was, um, these were, were bottles, and I know this sounds very strange, that were filled with, with this uh, clear liquid. And he said, said to me, I have saved your tears in this bottle. And he was holding one of the bottles. And he poured those tears <laughs> into the into the the water <laughs> and there was a just a lifting a lifting habit and all of those tears had been redeemed for joy in this in these living waters that came from Jesus had been enjoined with 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 the life that emanated from Jesus and I was, I felt cleansed. I felt like I had, I, I drank kind of a spiritual water when I was thirsty, you know, and this was a spiritual quenching of my thirst. And, and it was a invigorating, wonderful relief and lifting and, uh, revival, uh, in my spirit. I just, you know, I, I learned such a tremendous lesson from that moment with Jesus. Let me ask a, a, a less evocative question. Uh, people have asked you, were there animals in heaven? Tell us, 
Well, thanks for asking a less evocative question. (laughs) (laughs) As though any of these are not evocative in some way, because they certainly challenge, I think, and you've heard so many of these, Lee, but uh, that's one of the most common questions, actually, I think, probably that you've heard, you know, and... um, I saw all kinds of animals in heaven. Um, I saw uh, predators and prey uh, creatures that were uh, together. Uh, the lions were more of a of a um, familiar and also a, a gentle type. Um, so I all saw all kinds of these things before me. But there was one very poignant moment that happened with me because I know what people want to know if their pets are going to uh, heaven. And I know what that's like because I've lost my, my um, furry loved ones. Um, So I had a, I had a boyhood dog whose name uh, was Casey and I was uh, bullied when I was a boy. I was, I was overweight, uh, very much overweight. And so I was called names in school um, so I withdrew into my shell and I didn't want to talk to anybody. And I raced home as quickly as I could to get to Casey, my little terrier dog. Uh, I was kind of a mutt, but he was a little terrier and he would jump on me and lick my face. And all of a sudden the cares of the world just evaporated and little Casey just knew, you know, when I just, my tears that I wasn't shedding for anyone else except in the presence of Casey. And he just licked me and licked me. So here I was in heaven and Jesus turned my attention in front of me. Little Casey was jumping up and down. And I knew he gave me the desires of my heart and my little dog, Casey, and I expect to see him again in heaven. The answer to that question is yes. Wow. There was a scene where you saw, I guess, children playing with um, uh, an unusual animal, something that you hadn't, you couldn't identify. And I thought, you know, if animals do uh, live on in heaven, that probably even prehistoric or extinct animals would be represented there too. Yes, I had I had not recognized some of these animals, these uh, creatures. Everyone had a familiarity with the ones who were with them. In other words, there wasn't any threatening presence with uh, with any of them. And there was that that uh, period of time when I looked at them. There were uh, like long flowing linens, beautiful linens, white linens that were flowing down and creating this floor soft floor with those linens and children frolicking about and playing and with all kinds of uh, creatures and animals. And there was a pure joy uh, within them because everything in, in heaven emanated that uh, same joy, including the, the, the animals that were, were uh, there. And that's when I, when I saw this and, you know, I, um, I know a lot of people have gone through uh, these, uh, Questions or lost a, a child, perhaps a loved one, and they say, you know what, you know, the purpose was so much uh, unfulfilled purpose. Uh, they never got to grow up. Um, but I had this sense in heaven that their impression here in this world 
was not only lasting in this world, but also it was being fulfilled into eternity in heaven. So there was no remorse, nothing of that nature. And uh, yeah, I had a friend of mine. May I share this, Lee, about with a friend of mine who came up, lost his daughter. This story. Oh, of course. Yes, um, of course. So a friend of mine came up and, and he said, you know, I, he had lost his daughter. And he said, I had this wonderful dream. He said, I saw my daughter frolicking in the field, you know, in, in a field of flowers. And it was beautiful. And I was comforted. I was actually joyful in, in, uh, in seeing this in my dream. And so it struck me. And so I said to my friend, whose name is Joe, I said, Joe, um, you got a postcard from heaven. I said, I believe your daughter was there with Jesus in this beautiful field of flowers, as I could, you know, detail what I witnessed. And I believe your daughter may have said to Jesus, you know, I like to tell my dad, you know, send him a dream. Just tell him, you know, I'm having a wonderful time and I love him. And so I believe he had that impartation from heaven. And I said, Joe, you received a postcard from, from heaven. So now I tell that to people, you know, when they have these thoughts, these dreams, these memories that are comforting, not, not haunting, but comforting. And we know the memory is kind, but when they're really, you know, they elicit that feeling of comfort that they received a postcard from heaven. When people say they've been visited um, by a deceased relative on earth, you know, you say there's, um, it's really only joy in heaven because it's all yes. love. But if a spirit of a deceased person comes back to minister to a relative or a friend, uh, do they feel, um, do they regain that sense of unhappiness and uh, of the, of the dual nature of living on earth for the moment that they're there? Yeah. I also write Lee about the separation of, you know, that there's a walling off of that, uh, what the cares of this world would bring to them in heaven. So that um, I remember there was an instance, for example, this is not in the book, but just kind of leads to your question. So it was an instance, my father had passed away. And I just asked God, I said, you know, I want, and I know that your audience will probably accept this. Some audiences may not. Um, so I was, it was a movie theater years ago and I was coming down and I said, God, I just want to know he's with you right now. I just want that. And so I had this impression, more like a vision of my father and I didn't see that, you know, the joy that I saw in heaven. I didn't see that part of him, um, which really bothered me. And so I, um, so I asked, asked the Lord about that. I said, God, well, I, I wanted comfort. <laughs> and he said, in heaven, they're comforted with me. But when you ask that, the cares of the world came upon your father again. And in heaven, there are no cares of the world. That is the negative cares of the world. Right. The cares of the world are pleasant and comforting. 
And so from that moment, I no longer pray. I, so my prayer was subsequent to that was, Lord, you know, open when people have, have died or passed on from this, uh, this world. I said, Lord, just open my spiritual eyes to see them in heaven, <laughs> not, not, <laughs> not in this world. Cause I want to see them in heaven where everything oh, is joyful. Of glorious. course. Yes. <laughs> Excellent qualifier. Yes, right, right. I, I want to see my loved one, but yeah. only only in a place where they Make are unqualified sure. happiness. Right, abounds. exactly. Um, <laughs> through your book, you have um, a series of revelations, and um, one of them, uh, Revelation number 13, a life is never wasted. Even the young in heaven have a lasting legacy that still lingers in this world. Let's talk about that a little. Yes. Um. It's ironic that it would be number 13, isn't it? Because um, I, I wrote that actually because a friend of mine had just lost his son. Uh, was a, his, his young son, um, teenage son, was a good Samaritan. And so he saw a crime happen. And um, he went out after the – checked to see if the person was okay. And then he ended up being shot and he died. Um, and so I wrote that because I was struggling with this question, Lee, uh, for my friend, and I wanted to give him an answer. Um, and there's that old, that saying that, that, you know, the good die young. Yes. And there was an innocence and quality and there's a begging of the question, you know, why? Because, you know, these young people have their life ahead of them, but no life was wasted. And so, the Lord was speaking to me of an experience that I had in heaven, one related to those children frolicking about. But there was an intentionality about heaven where everyone was doing what they were, um, what, what they were constructed to do when the, what they were, uh, how they lived, how their, their talents, their giftings, all of those things that they were doing in the world were extended into heaven. And they were continuing in, in a magnified way. So I saw uh, artists who were creating pieces of art that were absolutely, and, and not just figuratively, but literally out of this world. And I saw uh, people who were teaching and doing things where uh, they were able to teach more profoundly and more insightfully than ever before. And I realized that my friend's son, who had died, was was still continuing that journey and that purpose, and now it was in heaven. And I told him about this, and I said, you know, the, the conundrum is in this life is that we have this limited vantage point, and we think life ends at the point of someone dies. And so when a young person dies, it, it limits us to thinking that's it, you know, case closed, life over. And that's clearly not the case. But what it is, is the relationship we have with them here in this world, like the day to day, you know, calling them on the cell phone or whatever. That part, yes. But the part that they have in continuing that purpose in heaven is into eternity. So it never, never ends and it grows and it's actually exponentially more accentuated there than it is here. And here's another thing, Lee, I just wanted to mention. So, and you know this having been a chaplain that, you know, um, I never understood the, the verse, uh, you know, a thousand days is as a, as a, 
a thousand years is a day and days is a thousand years, right? Until I was just um, meditating on this. So that that child, and so I was praying for something for my friend, that child who is in heaven um, is going to see um, his parent in like, a day or 15 minutes or whatever it is in his context for the parent. It's like an eternity, a lifetime, right? It's going to be, it seems like forever. I'm not going to see that person until the day I die. And that's going to be a long, 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 long time from, from the perspective of heaven, because there is no time or space. That perspective is, is I'm, I'm going to be seeing my mom, my dad, my loved one, whomever, like I'm, I'm waiting for them right now. They'll be there any minute, you know? And that's a, that can, that's a conceptual difference unlimited by time or space in heaven that I think is not understood here on earth because we are so confined by our own limited expectations and by time and space and all the th- understandings or knowledge that we understand Whereas in heaven, everything is as it is, it is, and and truth is as it is. And there's nothing really that prevents, um, any, that prevents the things we think are limited from being um, fully realized in heaven. Time is a very interesting <laughs> question. In, in heaven, I assume everything is a, is a variation on now, whereas we are stuck in you know, plodding along in one direction time-wise. And uh, God, of course, can jump back and forth. If he can, if he can go back and erase uh, a sin that, that he's forgiven, take it right out of the record, then yes. he, can move, he can move backwards and forwards. And I don't know how much freedom a deceased person has, but if that child is waiting to see a parent, it doesn't really have to wait till they die because he can be there. If he yeah, can they, jump, if he can jump into the now of two years from now, for example, yeah. well, relationship doesn't end in heaven. Relationship we think ends, except in memories or looking through a photo album or whatever. But relationship in heaven is continuous. So that relationship, we think, okay, there's there's this wall, there's this and them. But the relationship in heaven, people ask, you know, is there, do they, do they know, do they remember and all that? Certainly, certainly know, certainly remember. But it's the, it's the pleasant memories because these were the ones that assuage and don't cause consternation. Here, we seem to be haunted all too often with regret and with um, remorse and loss and grief and those things stick with us and they become an imprint on our soul so that we live with those things. You know, I've lost my loved one forever. That piece of me is gone. Mm. Whereas in heaven, of course, the attitude is reflective of Jesus where that is not the case whatsoever. I think that the overriding learning that I uh, discovered through my time with Jesus was that Jesus wants to be that, fill that void. Jesus wants us to know that he is with us always. And he said as much. He said, I will never leave you or forsake you. 
And remembering back the first two words from Jesus to me were trust me because they knew when I came back, I would need to be reminded of those words in my life here. And that is that the presence, if we, if we truly trust him, we trust him at his word, which is to say he's with us now. So what does that mean? When we're going through the storm, he's there. Many of us have heard that footprints in the sand, uh, read that, you know, uh, that poem uh, yes. from the unknown author. He lifts us. He's with us. He weeps with us. He, he goes through these. He came, he walked this earth. He knows what it means to even go through the most severe trials, knowing that he was the fullness of who he was and said he was. However, at the same time, he empathizes with us in a way that nobody else can. He knows all about us. He knows the hairs on our head or were on our head. He knows every facet of us and he never wants to leave us. And I think if that's the impression I can leave with Jesus, he never, he wants to be with us. He wants to be with us. He, he just said, and, and, and I, and I keep hearing this. Hey, I just want to, I'm here. I'm here. Talk to me. Talk to me. Be with me. <laughs> in your, in your book, though, you mentioned, um, not that you saw any evidence of hell, but you had met a, I guess a teen at a teen conference who did have a vision of hell. And, um, mm-hmm. and in your book, I think you say, um, hell is where God is not. Yes. Tell, tell, tell us uh, about that uh, vision that he described to you. This was a gang member. I'd worked at teen challenge, which is a uh, center for uh, those uh, suffering from drug addiction. And he was a gang member. He had the teardrops, you know, signifying how many people he had killed. And, um, so he had uh, recounted to me his experience, and it was just it was a really dark, you know, place and almost describing monsters and things of that sort. And I've heard people describe this, these things before, you know, others maybe that you've had on the, on the show. And so um, I was struggling with this. And I said to him, I said, you know, but you, meaning to him at that time, you're like an on fire, believe, believe, you know, God is your all. And so I said, why did you, th- and I did, you know, I asked him, you know, about this, which, you know, I expressed what he told me in the book. And I asked him, why do you think that you had this? He had suffered from a heart attack. He died, his heart stopped for a period of time. And he said, it was, I'm back now and it drives me because I know that that being apart from God, which is hell, being apart from God, where there is no presence of God and there was no presence of God in my life, you know, when I was a gang member doing all of these different things, that that was hell. And now he was on fire because he was telling people, what you need to do is draw closer, just closer to God, you know, steep yourself instead of running, you know, two directions we can go. One is in, in times of trial, one is, you know, to admire ourselves in the grief and the sorrow um, and to blame God. And the other one is to seek God, you know, to, to pray and to meditate on him and to hear that truth that he speaks into our life and to read those comforting messages that Jesus spoke you know, in his, in his own words 
and to and to seek seek him out and he is faithful to uh to reveal himself to us if we only do that and and i, and I think that's that's what happened in that situation you know hell is indeed uh the place apart from god's presence and and god doesn't want that mm. he he said that that uh i you know i desire that none experience that you suppose once someone has found themselves in that position, there is uh, any way to reconcile themselves with God? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Oh, my goodness. There is no one beyond the grasp of God. You know, um, I think if you look at Mary Magdalene, to me, is like a classic example. You have to put it in the context of the time. So they're ready to stone her, which is, you know, how they dealt with things like that time. Yes. And so Jesus is there. She's like the lowest of the low, right? And so what does Jesus do? And he turns and he says, he who has not sinned cast the first stone. And it just disarmed the Pharisees at the time. They realized, oh, uh, have I ever thought about that? Have I ever done a bad thing? Have I ever? And here you had Mary Magdalene, who was one of the most, uh, one of the closest people to to Jesus subsequent to that. And uh, he saved her life, but in more than one way, because he gave her value. The world had taken that value away. She probably had been abused and neglected and uh, all of these things and scorned in life as many are today. Mm. And Jesus uh, took her and even touching her was considered a sin. And he embraced her and he loved her. And she was the lowest of the lowest. There is nobody, nobody uh, that is beyond the redemption by Jesus to be with him and, and, and to accept his grace in their life. There's nobody. And if you feel that way, I'm telling you right now that Jesus said, I might in heaven, you are loved more than you know. <laughs> he loves you. And all you need to do is just embrace him as he's embracing you right now. It might be my Catholic upbringing, but um, you had a, a, a phrase in the, uh, or a paragraph in your book, about the blood of Christ. You say the blood of Christ connects our spirit to God. A mother's lifeblood to her infant is transported through an umbilical cord. The spiritual blood of Jesus Christ nourishes our spirit in like manner. Without that life-giving connection from Jesus, we would figuratively die in the womb. I thought that was very uh, powerful. Yes. Yes, and we think of many times where Jesus used analogies in this world to ascribe, you know, the branch and the vine. Jesus being the vine, we are the branch being grafted into uh, Jesus. And that being one, the blood of Jesus Christ, the righteous blood of Jesus. And, you know, our our physical mind tends to assimilate that with what we think of as blood, corpuscles, and so forth. Um but he was really ascribing these things in terms of the spiritual aspects. So there was a point, Lee, where I was in heaven. So I had felt the the Holy Spirit, the God's Spirit, at the same time I was with Jesus. So, and it felt like the wind, and it felt not like the wind we would 
uh, experience on a windy day, let's say, uh, after a storm or during a storm. Um, this one was very comforting and it was a wind that really can't be ascribed, I think, to, to physical words or, or English lexicons or any worldly lexicons. Um, what it was, was a comforting, uh, presence of the Lord would, was, was with me. And that was, I believe, the blood of Jesus, which was flowing through me, which was the presence of God, which is flowing through me, giving me life, perpetual life. And when I drank of those, uh, waters from the river of life, I felt refreshed. And, and I, as I mentioned earlier, I felt like I had just been relieved of a burden. And I felt that like it's being quenched by, uh, you know, after being parched by drinking, uh, water only, it was spiritual water. And, um, and that's the part that's, that kind of a, that you asked me about, you know, imparting words to impressions, you know, and that's the part that's hard for me to explain. And I spent so much time just praying and asking for ways that I could write it because for many years I didn't write it because I thought I could not write it, um, in a, in a book. And, and then I would have these, uh, inspirations about, oh, oh, okay. So it's like this or that. And I knew that I knew that this was the way it was, but I had never been able to articulate that or, or write it, um, before previously. We're almost out of time, but I'd love for you to um, describe the vision that actually comes out of Revelation, I guess. The, the scene that Jesus showed you of an oncoming storm, it, you say it lingered, as a, um, it lingered as a roar causing all of creation to look above. What yes. did you see? That was the most unique and awe-inspiring experience I had in heaven. There was a time, there was a thundering roar. It was comforting. Nothing was uncomfortable for me in heaven. So it was comfortable at the same time. It was very daunting. Uh, and um, it brought me to a degree of seriousness. Um, it brought me to a degree where I was in the, of a moment of gravitas that I had not experienced prior to this, where it was steeped deep in my soul, what was going on. And this was God taking on this, this, when I, when I saw with my spiritual eyes, the power and the might and the authority of God. Uh, the authority of Jesus, which was there with me, but I saw this going on and I thought, you know, what is this, Lord? What is, why am I having this impression? And it was the power of God that was being released or just almost like a expectancy, you know, to break through, to break through. And I saw God being pouring forth new creation and creation for lives that have been lost, let's say, and creation in them and newness of life and newness of purpose and newness of everything. And this birthing of things that were in the newness of things that I was perceiving with my spiritual eyes uh, and, and, and even in this world, 
um, was there are no words in any of the world's lexicons to explain what that experience was. But, uh, but I tried to author it as I, as I, uh, as best I can, that is. Oh, I thought you, you did very well. In part, you wrote, The light engulfed my Lord so that only one figure appeared in one stream, glorious and brilliant, as a conflagration to things below and calm to everything in heaven and to those bathed in the shimmering light of Elohim, the Almighty. This is why I like to write more than I do speak. <laughs> I was, I love, there's so much that could be said. And, and but there's an esprit de corps that we have here in speaking live. But yes, there was, I, I'm sitting in the room right now where I authored that. And, and I was, it was, I felt like I was in a sacred place. And I felt like I was, and I would look, I would read back like the words that you read. And I said, Really? Did that come from yours truly? <laughs> was like, I, I can't write that way. Um, and so, yes, it was, um, it was beyond me. And then I realized at those times, I said, this is that I can't write like this. I can't author uh, like this. And then I realized the Lord was speaking forth. Well, yes, but I can author those through you. Yeah. And so every one of us can author those things through, through Jesus. Sure. Well, how, how else was the Bible written? except that yes. God was writing through his authors. Exactly, the inspiration. Uh, Randy, sadly, we are all out of time for today. Uh, I want to thank you so much, mm-hmm. but give you the chance first to tell uh, our listeners how they can find out more about you and your books and the mission that you're on. Yes. Thank you for that, Lee. So the book recently released, Revelations from Heaven, you can find it on all the major outlets. It's probably, it's got this white space, so I don't know if you can see. <laughs> it's like a, it's like there is a light coming through it. But anyway, um, you can go to my site, which is randyk.org. The ministry uh, evolved out of a time where I was getting just lots of messages from people. And so I thought I was starting to be consumed with this. People that think, you know, you write a book to make money. I mean, I laugh at that because I, I made a lot of money in the uh, corporate world, in the, in the secular world. As you know, mm-hmm. Lee, you don't make money in ministry. No. You just give. And no. uh, so uh, Randy K. Ministries was formed through that. Uh, to bring hope and the love of Jesus to those uh, in desperate need at these times. So randyk.org and, of course, uh, Revelations from Heaven. Yeah. Thank you so much. Thank, thanks, Randy. Thank you. If Lee. listeners would like to hear this show again or any of our more than 400 archived NDE interviews, go to TalkZone's NDE radio site and hit the Past Shows button or subscribe to our YouTube channel, NDE Radio with Lee Whitting, where you can listen and comment on the complete NDE Radio Library. And be sure to like, follow, and share on our new NDE Radio Facebook page and discover our Facebook group and links to our YouTube channel from there while you're there. Just search NDE Radio with Lee Whitting on your Facebook app or with your desktop or mobile device. And listen again next Monday, 11 a.m. Eastern at Talk Zone for more NDE Radio. I'm your host, Lee Whitting, saying thanks for listening. <laughs>